Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Today we're breaking down Alabama versus uh, Texas A&M. This game is a classic Alabama fan overreaction game. And we want to take some time, a little bit of a public service here, and sort of walk you back from that. This game is kind of like the Bible. If you look hard enough, you're going to find anything that you want it to find. You're going to find anything that that you, any point you want to make, you're going to find it in this game. But the reality is, just like the Bible, right? The reality is there is one truth. Through it all, there's one persistent truth. And for Alabama, in this Texas A&M game, the truth is this is week two and we remain a work in progress. There's an angst almost amongst the fan base to see the fully developed team in all its form and all its bells and whistles in a truly, you know, out of the oven, baked, fully ready to go format. And the reality is in week two, you're not going to get that. The expression mid-season form exists for a reason. Mid-season form in week one and week two is a little bit of a rarity. So let's be realistic in evaluating this game for what it is. It's a work in progress and maybe in a fluky way, but you know, Alabama jumped out in a 14 uh, point lead and Texas A&M, I'll, I'll use the, the word answered, uh, answered that uh, fluky as it may be. Uh, and we had a 14, 14 game in the, in the second quarter. We've seen Alabama teams struggle with that. We've seen other teams struggle with that. What did Alabama do? They, 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 they dusted, they dusted that off, and they put up 21 more points before half, and effectively the game was done. The game was over uh, at that point. So it's a work in progress, but we're seeing some phenomenal ingredients. We're seeing some phenomenal uh, input, and that certainly is one. Saban is, is I think, taking a pretty measured stance as well. And so I don't know if that's you know grandfather Saban versus uh, a younger iteration, or if he's if he's got the right sort of pulse of this team and dialed in uh, appropriately. And frankly, it's probably a little bit of both. But Saban in his post game is talking about the talent is there. It's not a capability issue. And I would inject what he's saying sort of air quotes and not saying is this year. I think last season, 2019, there was a capability issue with some of the the, the younger players, more of the younger players uh, with the injuries. And so last year, it was more of a talent gap. In 2020, it's less of a talent gap. Uh, Coach is saying that the talent is there. We just need people to do it right. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not deflecting that to Pete Golding and calling it a, a coaching issue. I'm just saying this is a week two situation. The team is going to continue to get better. The defense is going to continue to gel. New starters and new positions. A couple of young guys, but not as many as last year. These are also players that won the position, not defaulted into the position as a result of injury. So even though you may have freshman this year, freshman this year, last year, why is it not the same situation? It's not the same situation because it's not the same situation. We didn't lose a lot of guys to injury that forced people into play 
these guys won the job, and uh, and and I think they're performing pretty well. So let's jump in. That's sort of uh, some introductory comments that I wanted to to put in play. Uh, let's jump in like we do and step through the offense. Uh, I think offense starts and stops with Mac Jones. Wow, his performance I think is winning over fans and uh, and drawing the attention of opponents. Certainly, uh, he was twenty of twenty seven, four hundred and thirty five yards which is a pretty darn impressive uh, stat. In fact, it's the fourth highest passing yard total for an Alabama quarterback in the history of the program. And you heard that right. I had to double double check that too. Are we saying in the history of Saban's era? No, we're saying in the history of the program. Are we saying in the history of the last couple of years with Tua putting up big numbers? No, we're saying in the history of the program, which is pretty darn impressive. That's some rarefied air that Mac Jones is, is treading. Uh, four touchdowns. He did have the interception. You know, it was a deflected ball. Uh, probably could have made a, a little bit different or better decision there. But when you're clipping at a 75% rate and uh, putting those those long uh, precision passes uh, in play, um, you know, we're going to look past an interception here and there because that's you're going to you're going to sort of break an egg as the as the expression goes. You know, 75% accuracy rate. 273 yards at half. Again, sort of the game was over. Uh, if you look at his first half performances in the first two games, uh, you know, he has, has, you know, right at, you know, 500, just over 500 yards. I think it was right at 300 against uh, against Texas A&M. And then I know he came out early in the third. Uh, so there's a total there. I think Roll Bama Roll uh, does a, a really good breakdown of sort of his first half uh, stats. And so kind of barring some intel. Uh, from there. But Mac Jones has shown more than just, you know, completing those those plays, which are amongst, you know, in and of themselves quite impressive. He's demonstrated a little bit of swagger uh, on the field uh, after his first touchdown pass. He had a little bit, a little bit of a dance move. We're seeing some uh, former players uh, respond very well to, to Mac Jones. I think Blake Sims and and Mac Wilson, uh, uh, you know, both have have tweeted uh, positive commentaries. I know there's others. Uh, Devonta Smith, think back at the end of camp. Uh, De- uh, Devonta Smith was saying, uh, you know, speaking of, of Mac in pretty glowing terms, which I thought uh, certainly, uh, certainly impressive. And we're seeing that, right? What he saw in camp, we are now starting to see. And it's pretty darn impressive. Also want to call out the leadership for Mac Jones. And I think I want to go back to Maybe it was the Auburn game. Maybe it was one of the other starts. And uh, I think I think I called him the senator, right, because he just seemed to have the pulse of the team and, and uh, uh, was sort of working the room, so to speak. And I think we're seeing that here as, as well. Uh, in his post-game press conference, you know, he certainly gave uh, credit to all of the, the rest of the team and the other players. But he took ownership and he took responsibility for – um, I call him misplaced, you know, uh, you know, obviously the interception, uh, he did miss, uh, I think it was Waddle on, on a, on a pass. Maybe it was Mechie. Uh, he did miss a couple, but, uh, you know, he's still hitting at a 75% clip, but I did think the leadership that he's demonstrating, that's the point I want to make the leadership there. I think is phenomenal. I think, uh, the players are going to rally around it. Uh, again, former players are rallying around him. So I think that's certainly something to take note of. I want to circle back to, to Mac in just a minute, but let's talk about these wide receivers. We predicted that the um, we, maybe we didn't pre, uh, predict such a breakout game, and, and especially in this contest, but we did predict that uh, John Mechie would be the third receiver. 
and very early we we saw that that was true against uh, Missouri. But the, the sort of the breakout he had against Texas A&M was was phenomenal. I think um, you know with Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith, you know who do you cover right or who do you double team and you can't cover them all. And I think that's sort of the uh, I think that's what we saw with Mechie. five catches for a for a buck eighty one, uh, two two big touchdowns. So that was certain, certainly a coming out party for him. I think that's going to shift with Mac playing so well. Mechie sort of bursting onto the scene. Now we've got three wide receivers we have to uh, – that opponents know, recognize, appreciate that they have to take into account. I think we're going to see defenses uh, shift a little bit. Miller Forstall probably had his best catch of the day, our best catch of his career, sort of a, a contorting uh, catch for the first down, and he had two catches for 23 yards. So, And then he had a catch last week as well. So we're seeing him – in the passing game, primarily as a blocker, but if he's going to get a couple passes a day or a couple looks uh, every Saturday, I think that's going to bode well for him. Carl Tucker's seeing some uh, playing time as well, primarily as a blocker, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if he gets some run in the passing game as well. The running game. So let's talk about the running game. This is one of those topics that Alabama fans, I think, are subject to overreacting to. So we look at this game and 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 I saw a couple of people, you know, predict uh, articles predicting, you know, Najee was going to run for 100 yards and Najee's going to have three touchdowns and 150 yards and just all of these just incredible numbers and and I think those are being written from a want to point of view rather than a true informed prediction. Uh, we had Chad on uh, late last week where we did a Texas A&M preview. And he, he cautioned us, you know, Mike Elko is going to stop the run at the expense of anything else. He's going to stack up and stop the run. And so that's what happened. We saw Mississippi, uh, Missouri, rather. Uh, we saw them do that. Uh, in fact, I would say that Texas A&M is, at least this season, Texas A&M is Missouri's big brother. Uh, they have a lot of the same characteristics. Just tex- Texas A&M is more developed. Uh, we think about the the strength of their defense being the, the defensive line. Uh, that's true for both of them. All conference caliber middle linebackers, they've got them. Strength, the secondary strength is at the safeties. That's true for both team uh, both teams. A freshman starter at a cornerback position. That's true of both teams. The intent of stopping the run first. That's true of both teams. And so it's interesting that offensively. Uh, and then and then both teams on the other side of the ball have an interest in running more of a spread uh, type offense. We see that with Mon, a quarterback that's capable of running. And we saw that with the Missouri. I think they're settling on uh, the other kid in the Tennessee game. But we saw their starting quarterback, more of a dual threat style quarterback, and we saw him run uh, or attempt to run uh, at least a little bit when we played him. So I think there's there's similarities across those two teams. And so what we get are similar results, right? Uh, we get a team that puts up a little more points than we were hoping. Uh, the defense doesn't look quite as polished as, as we were expecting. Some of those expectations may be a little premature, but uh, let's give it some time on the defense. But I thought it was interesting. I'm digressing because uh, I want to go back and talk about the, the running backs on Alabama offense. Uh, point being, though, I think the two teams, you know, share some similarities. And and it may be, you know, I guess we'll get Georgia coming up and they're going to be a, a, a tough defense as well. But, those, you know, we I think the running game is coming is the, the sort of the short version there. But let's talk about what we did see in the running game. <clears throat> you know, Najee was, uh, you know, 12 carries for 43. He did have two touchdowns, certainly in some goal line situations. I thought he was really close to breaking uh, a couple of runs. 
there was a couple times that uh, he really demonstrated good vision and just got tripped up just as uh, just as he was about to enter some green space. At least once I saw him sort of pound uh, pound the carpet because he knew ah, if I could have just gotten free from that, I had a I had a running lane. And so when you have a quality running back, which we know that we do in Najee, the more times they get close, they're going to bust them. They're just going to. It's just that it's the nature of them. You can't keep a running back like that bottled up uh, forever. And we saw uh, Najee almost break a couple against Texas a and I'm telling you, folks, it's coming. Uh, Brian Robinson later in the game, uh, and so I, I won't say that he's a better running back. I'll say that he ran against some more tired defense and uh, probably some rotating guys, but he ran 10 for 60. I think he's a, a hard physical runner. I still think we're going to see him sort of burst out and have some big play. And then Trey Sanders, again, even sort of later in the game, uh, he had two carries for 14. And so I think he has that burst. I think he has I think he has, has that explosive speed and start-stop ability that's a little different from the other two. And I think we're going to see him sort of break out as well. So I would say it's definitely coming. The offensive line, you know, outstanding pass protection. Mac Jones has just an incredible amount of time in the pocket. Uh, he makes subtle adjustments in the pocket, subtle movements in the pocket, uh, and then he finds the open man and puts the ball where it needs to. The offensive line, uh, sort of kudos, hats off to the offensive line uh, in that regard. I do think the running game is coming, and so let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, I think what we are doing, what Alabama is doing offensively, is really a function of the the opponent's attack. And so when the opponent's and the first two have done this, when your defensive opponent lines up and says, we're going to take away the run and we're going to make this air quote unproven quarterback beat us. We're going to make this guy. Yeah. He played a little bit last year, uh, but now it's his team. Now he's, he's running the show. Now the pressure is on him in a way that it wasn't before. We're going to make him beat us. And what we've seen in two weeks, very clearly a very loud and pronounced statement is that Mac Jones can beat you. And so what we're going to see is an evolution, I think, an evolution of how defenses uh, attempt to defend Alabama. They know that Mac in the passing game, now there's a third receiver, right? They know that the passing game can beat uh, can beat them. So maybe they soften up uh, on the run. What they might say is, man, Alabama's running backs are really good, but they're struggling this year. And so maybe the running game this would be an overreaction the other way, but maybe the running game isn't quite a threat. So let's deploy uh, nickels and dimes in the back. And if if Alabama wants to turn the ball down the field, we're going to gamble that they make mistakes uh, more than they they produce on on the ground. I think that's that's a mistake the other way, but that's the type of pendulum swing. We're going to see it go back the other way. Uh, I do think this team talent-wise has the talent to be balanced. We're going to take advantage of the opportunities that are given. And so what you're not going to see is a 500-yard day where 250 is in the air and 250 is on the ground. That's You're just not going to see that. And so what you're going to see is Alabama take advantage of what's been given. And over a larger sort of sample size, we're going to start to see the running game uh, kick in. So I'm going to warn you that, that the running game, the running game is coming and um, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt the mentality of the fan base that Ole Miss is coming up. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, offensive line. Uh, we can't, so we can't get off the offensive topic without talking about the penalties. And there were quite a number. 
it's one of those things, uh, we've talked about it on the podcast before, that not everyone gets a turn. Not everyone gets a penalty. And so these pre-snap penalties, I know Evan had one, Alex had one, uh, I think Landon had one, I think Ekior uh, had one. I think, you know, nearly everyone have had one. And, and the trick is if you want to have one per game, all right, let's have one per game. Not everyone gets to have one, though. You know, that's four, you know, four or five uh, penalties. That's four or five, potentially four or five possessions that uh, they can sort of get stonewalled. Uh, in some respects, you know, Mac bailed us out. In some respects, we were kind of lucky. They all happened at once, or, or at least a number of them happened at once. We're sitting on second and 22, and Mac throws for a long touchdown. So he he paved over, he covered up, he washed away some of those uh, some of those mistakes. But it's still something we need to clean up. I think there were seven penalties. I think most of them were pre-snap. Uh, that's the kind of stuff we've got to get rid of. We've got to we've got to at least cut that in half, and we need to do that Saturday, and then we need to sort of whittle away at that from there. If we had a penalty-free day, I think that would be a dream. I don't think that's realistic. Uh, if we get down, if we get down to two or three penalties, I think that's a sweet spot. I think that's realistic. I think that's achievable, and I think I want to say that's coming. Uh, you know, I guess jury's out on that one. I don't. I don't want to be too overly optimistic, but uh, I think that's a target. I think it's attainable, and uh, I think the, the coaching staff will sort of push them in that direction. So, what do we want to do? Mini game ball on offense. There's a lot of, I would say, sort of full time uh, game balls. What do we do, want to do? Mini game balls. There's a push to want to go to Smitty uh, and just his incredible toe tap uh, catch, and uh, but I think that's a big time play. It's it it maybe isn't as big time as you know he had 63 yards. Maybe not as big time as Mechie's 181 and Jalen's 142. But uh, Smitty, you know Smitty does you know Smitty was doing the Smitty things right, and uh, I think that's certainly a weapon that he has. We're gonna go in uh, mini game ball. We're gonna go Najee Harris, and I know he's a big name player. He's sort of a big name star, obviously, but we're gonna go Najee less so for his running. Uh, which I still thought was impressive. We're going to go Najee for his tackle on the interception. And I love, there was a tweet uh, from uh, Dr. Matt Ray that uh, came out, I don't know, overnight, late last night, sometime this morning, Monday morning. And uh, he t- he made the point, which I thought was impressive. You know, Najee has five touchdowns in two games so far. Uh, impressive running the ball. But his play, his tackle, running down the the interception, is the call that has uh, NFL scouts calling him, uh, calling Matt, and I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Uh, he said that on that uh, running down the uh, the interception that uh, he got up to twenty one point seven miles per hour, uh, which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, that that's that's going to draw the attention of of NFL scouts. What's interesting is that's a way. Think of playing as a way to, to and this is a Saban mantra right here. You know, you're putting yourself on film, you're advertising yourself with sort of everything you do. And it would be easy to just let that play happen, not not track it down. And what what Najee was able to do is demonstrate in tracking this down. Certainly, demonstrates the effort and tenacity, and, and not give up. And and those are all important things. But he was he was able to showcase his wheels. He was able to showcase his speed. His top end speed was a concern last year. It's something that NFL scouts maybe had had some concern over can he play in the NFL with his top end speed can he bust uh you know a long play uh in our league and so Najee dedicated himself to working on his speed and while he has not yet had an opportunity to demonstrate that that speed in the open field 
what he what he did is uh, you know carrying the ball. What he did is demonstrated on the field tracking down uh, that play. And so for all of the opponents that are out there, they're going to see that too, and they're going to say, "Hey, we this guy's faster than we thought." And so it's going to be interesting to sort of the conundrum that Alabama poses for future defenses. We're starting to see it. It's sort of a block. I don't want to sound like, <laughs> I'm going to sound like Butch Jones. You know, we're going to build this brick by brick. Um, uh, he, he was sort of chastised for that. But, you know, we have a lot of parts and pieces that we can build up into a, a pretty solid team. And so I don't think uh, Jones is completely off in sort of his analogy. It was just, you know, his time at Tennessee did not go as well for him as, as uh, maybe it could have. At any rate, mini game ball to Najee uh, for that play. Very impressive. Very impressive. All right, let's flip the field to defense. And a couple of things, a couple of things really jump out. Uh, and I don't know that they jump out and, until you look at them and then you just sort of scratch your head. And so some of the defensive stats, you know, Alabama allowed 450 total yards to Texas A&M. When I first saw that stat, my initial reaction was really. When did that happen? And you go back and it's, you know, it's 335 passing. And yeah, I guess, you know, they connected some balls and, you know, 115 rushing. Well, okay, that's not such a bad number. Uh, they did have 25 first downs. And you think, well, when did that happen? Well, I guess they did sort of put together some drives. Really? Did they have 37, almost 38 minutes of time of possession? Huh. It just didn't feel that way. Uh, watching the game, and especially when you see the score, 52 to, to 27. Some of this is a product of, you know, Alabama throwing the ball and scoring quick, uh, long long touchdown passes, and that's certainly fair. That's going to skew the, the time of possession. You know, Texas A&M moved the ball uh, with some, some efficiency. I think they averaged, you know, right at three, maybe just over three yards per carry, so not that efficient. Uh, they had a couple of big plays. They also had drives that went for naught, and so they drove the field a little bit before uh, missing a field goal. They drove the field a little bit before turning the ball over on downs uh, on uh, the catch that Osiris uh, – not Osiris. Oh, hell, I wrote down his name. Anias. Uh, Anias Smith. Osiris is Mississippi State. Anias is uh, Texas A&M. But anyways, uh, you know, Anias, you know, missed, missed a ball that was, you know, on his hands, probably should have caught it. Uh, so that was driving the field uh, a little bit before, you know, losing the ball, before turning the ball over. Uh, there was a, a catch, non-catch near the end zone with with the tight end. And so they had driven the driven the field there. So they had moved the ball and really didn't have a whole lot to show for it. And so when you look at 450 yards, really, when did that happen? At least that was my reaction. You may have watched it and felt differently. I look at that, you know, that offensive production from Texas A&M. And for me, that's more, it's more of an annoyance. I mean, I'd look at it as a fan and I don't like it and let's go fix it. But I don't look at it as a threat, especially in this game, right? It was more, you know, a fly at a picnic than it was an intruder at your front door. That offensive production was never a threat in this game. And uh, it just became sort of pesky. You know, I'd rather us have, have the ball and, and, you know, try to open up this running game here. Uh, even if it doesn't result in more points, rather than them sort of move the ball between the 20s. And and so it was more sort of pesky annoyance than than anything else. So let's start to break down some of the positions here. Defensive line, I thought, I thought it looked good. You can find reports and you can look at the game from a certain angle and you can be disappointed in, in the defensive line. 
And I just think that's I think that's inaccurate. Uh, I think that's unfair. I think the, I think the defensive line was was very active. Uh, Phil Darian Mathis, uh, Justin Boyby, uh, Christian Barrymore. Uh, I thought they were amongst others. Uh, uh, Byron Young, I thought looked good. They were all active. Uh, you know, they they contend, but you know, think of what they were there to do. They weren't there. You know, it's not a statue back there. Let's 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 meet at the statue. It's a mobile quarterback, and so it was more of a disciplined rush. It was more of a contained rush. And so when you think of Mon rushing, he rushed for uh, eight carries for 19 yards, uh, about, you know, just under two and a half yards per carry. So I'll look at that as the defense doing their job, uh, the defensive line, especially doing their job, that they were rushed, contained. And that's, that's what the objective was. It wasn't to go beat up the quarterback. It wasn't to tackle. Uh, it wasn't to sack them. And think about other games with Texas A&M where we have had uh, a bunch of sacks, but Mond had a bunch of rushing yards too. Uh, was it last year? Maybe the year prior? We sacked him seven times, uh, but he rushed for over 100 yards. And so seven sacks is a an impressive number. It's sort of some sex appeal to it if you want to if you want to sort of express it that way. But you know, giving up 100 rushing yards to the quarterback is no fun either. And so I think the discipline this I think the defensive line was more disciplined this year. Uh, the objective was containment rather than sort of brute force or blunt object uh, in the in the, the back of the pocket. And I think that the net of that was a reduced run total and a reduced sack, you know, sack as well. There were there were eight quarterback hurries. And so let's think about that too a little bit. Uh, Saban talks about affect the quarterback, and that doesn't always mean sacks. It, it just means impede the quarterback's ability to, you know, do his job. And so rushing contain, I think, impeded, Mon's ability to do his job, and then eight quarterback hurries uh, certainly is an impediment there as well. Two of those I thought was interesting. Uh, two of those came from corner blitzes. Job had one, and Patrick Sertain uh, had one as well. And so I thought that was interesting. I think on those plays, we may have really been going for the sack, uh, sending a corner in like that. But I like the sort of diversification of attack that that demonstrates. And uh, it shows the teams, it shows other opponents that that Alabama, you know, has not only the talent in the front seven, but uh, they may come at you from the cornerback position as well. And so I think that's a lot for offensive lines to handle. I think that's a lot for offensive coordinators to, to sort of keep in mind. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, there were some busts, uh, certainly, that the, that the defense has uh, had. Uh, again, that's how you get up to 450 yards. It's not so much that it was methodical sort of production. It was just annoying and frustrating busts. And what's interesting is all of the busts were tight ends and running backs. They were not uh, wide receivers. And so uh, tight end, Jalen, uh, Weidemeyer, man, if there was one team on – if there were one player on their team that, that, that I wish, you know, suited up in Crimson, it would be – it would be their tight end. Uh, and then their running back, uh, Anaya Smith, he's a former wide receiver. And so uh, you could argue we should have treated him that way in in the secondary. Uh, and he had a he had a big play on, on a bust. And, you know, Daniel Wright, you know, tackle him out of bounds. Uh, that, that's We know that about – I would say that we know that about Daniel. He's incredibly talented. You know, had an opportunity last year to, to meet with someone – it, and it wasn't even as formal as that. We just landed on bar stools next to one another in a, in a restaurant and uh, talked about uh, uh, talked about Daniel Wright. I think he'd gotten his first start that day. 
and uh, sort of what, you know what was the narrative behind him starting, and you know the feedback that or you know just the you know over a drink dinner sort of conversation that um, at the bar conversation was you know Daniel Wright's incredibly talented. I think we saw that on Saturday, uh, incredibly athletic, and just has a propensity to freelance a little bit. And I think we saw that too. And so, uh, you know, he sort of, I would say gave up on the play, but he did what he thought was just enough to end the play and 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 not enough to sort of conclusively uh, end the play. And it was a, it was a talented play by Anias. He, he demonstrated great balance and uh, stick to it in this there and uh, tightrope the sideline until he got his footing and ran that in for a touchdown. And so Daniel Wright is something that certainly he's embarrassed by. Certainly he's going to hear about it from coaches and, uh, and fans and, and teammates alike. And so I don't see that being a mistake that, that he makes again. He did recover for that, uh, if you want to call it that. Uh, I think he baited a, a wide receiver. He baited Mond into a throw and was able to return that. He, he demonstrated some of his capabilities there, some of his, his athleticism. Uh, even my wife commented, wow, he is fast. Look at that. Uh, he caught the ball and certainly returned that for a touchdown. It's easy to say, well, he made amends there, and I get it. I understand that. That makes sense. Um, I think Saban's mentality is you don't make amends for you know for that kind of play. Uh, we want the good plays. We want to get rid of the bad plays. We're not trying to equal this thing out. Uh, we're trying to beat the opponent in front of us. So it's not a uh, it's not a making amends type situation. And I, I I tend to agree with that. I see the other side of it too. So that's interesting. Really, really like Malachi Moore. And uh, I jokingly have referred to you know Malmore starting in the secondary for Alabama, uh, but uh, uh, he goes by Kai. And uh, his parents call him Kai, so we're going to work on that uh, here as well. But, I, man, Malachi Moore, I like the alliteration there. I think he's a player. You know, this is his second collegiate game. It's his second collegiate start. And, um, uh, you know, you could say, you know, six tackles and uh, uh, two pass deflections, uh, an interception. You know, he's uh, Dick Vitale, right? Diaper dandy, you know, stat sheet stuffer, those, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, Mal Moore, or <laughs> there I go again, right? Mal Moore, it's Kai, uh, Kai Moore, uh, Malachi Moore. He 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 shows he looks a little Minka, and that's uh, you know for me I think that's I consider that pretty high praise. Uh, I think Minka in his three years on campus was uh, one of the best corner or one of the best you know stars, safeties, corner, however you want to sort of classify his his skill set and his position. Uh, I think was one of the best to come through Tuscaloosa probably ever. And when I see Malachi uh, play, he looks like a young uh, Minka. Uh, You know, especially body type as freshman. We're going to remember Minka more recently as he sort of filled out as a junior. But uh, two years down the road, we're going to see Malachi there as well. And so Malachi, incredibly impressive. He's a guy that I would just just watch him, right? If you go back and watch the game again, just watch 13 in the secondary because, uh, you know, he, he he's a lot of fun and uh, is going to be a tremendous player for us as we move forward. I like Josh Job, sort of an under-the-radar guy in the secondary, but physical as hell. Uh, you know, he had four tackles, but uh, he just he, he is a willing hitter. And uh, uh, I think he – some people will say Patrick Sertain is not a willing hitter. And it's not it's not helping Patrick's Q rating that Josh Job is playing on the other side because Josh is a willing hitter uh, at the corner position, and um, we talk about Will Anderson 
another guy, if you just go back and watch uh, defense and focus on an individual guy, just watch Will Anderson every play. Uh, every play. He's going to take some missteps. He's going to go, you know, maybe the wrong read, maybe in the wrong direction. But uh, he has a lot of speed to sometimes recover from that. Those are all teachable moments. And when he is on target, he is like a cannon shot. He is especially impressive at, at hitting the mesh point where the quarterback is handing to the running back. And either you think of an RPO where he, he the quarterback tucks the ball into the belly of the running back and he either lets it go, gives it to the running back, or he pulls it back. He attacks that mesh, that mesh zone, and we've, we've seen it now two weeks. He's going to go in there, and this is a little bit hyperbole, but I just we're going to see that he's going to go and blow up that mesh and create a fumble. Uh, he's going to go up there and blow up that mesh and tackle both guys. We're going to see something that is just that you just don't see, and it's his speed and his athleticism that that is going to drive that. Uh, if we play teams that are heavy, or when we play teams that are heavy in RPO, uh, you know maybe Ole Miss. Uh, I haven't broken down their film necessarily, but. Uh, uh, it strikes me that they may uh, introduce some of that into their offense. I think it's going to be interesting to see how maybe that is taken away. Uh, if we put Will Anderson in there and, you know, 40% of the time we we say go get the mesh, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough for those RPO teams. So that's going to be something that's going to be, uh, you know, I, I say very interesting uh, to watch. So defense, definitely things to improve on. Uh, I don't want to pave over that but just an incredible amount to like. Uh, Christian Harris, I don't know that we talked about him. Uh, he had 10 tackles, and uh, eight of those were solo. He's out there sort of on a, on a destructive uh, mission. And so I think if you look at all the weapons and assets, uh, so to speak, that Alabama has uh, on defense, it's, it's hard to believe that this defense isn't going to get better, that it isn't going to gel, and it isn't going to be uh, an impressive unit by the time it's said and done. We gave up more yards to Texas A&M than we want. I understand. We spoke to all of that. We're not in midseason form. Of course not. It's week two. Uh, we've seen uh, a similar type of attack. Let's let's let the season sort of round out. Let's get to week four, um, you know, week five before we start drawing, you know, conclusions necessarily. Before that, it's headlines and hyperbole uh, in either direction. And so I think this defense has a chance to uh, stabilize. Uh, Saban sees it. I think the coaching staff sees it. Uh, and if you're paying attention, again, it's what you're interpreting from what you see. If you're paying attention to the good things that the defense is doing and what we can build upon, then uh, I, I think you know I think you can see the direction we're going on. If you see the errors that are being made, they're mental, a little bit of communication, a little bit of alignment, a little bit of read, but it's not talent. And I don't think it's coaching. I think it's I think it's new guys in new positions. And uh, let's give this a couple more weeks before we start drawing uh, sweeping conclusions. Uh, but uh, I'm, I remain bullish on the talent and bullish on the coaching. And so uh, that's that's sort of where my head is on defense. Uh, mini game ball. So similar to last week, I wanted to get through the defensive uh, conversation before naming uh, my mini game ball. And so almost by process of elimination, uh, you probably guess my mini game ball is going to Jordan Battle. This is probably his sixth start. I think he started four games in 19, and so obviously two so far this year. So he is still a youngster in his own right in terms of his development and experience and time on the field. He netted nine tackles against Texas A&M. He was number two on the team. The thing that struck me, and at one point I almost felt bad for the uh, for the guy, 
uh, he seemed just really snake bit. There were passes that were completed on him, and it's almost unfair uh, to say that they were completed on him because his read was spot on. And it, it's almost the matrix uh, a couple of times how those uh, how the balls were 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 caught, uh, how they got past his sort of waving arm, his his attempt at at deflection. And so what I see there, uh, you know, what some people are writing is, you know, Jordan Battle gave up all these passes. Okay, you know, it's an interpretation. I'll look at it and say, look at Jordan Battle reading that play. He was in the right play. He was in the right position. And the fact that a couple of those balls just, you know, just barely uh, got into the into the receiver. In fact, one, he, he, he grazed it. He touched the ball, but it was still – you know, just so close right there that any sort of deflection or, or movement of the ball, uh, it still resulted in a catch. But what's but what I take away from that is the dude is on point. Uh, he's reading. He's closing. He's there. He's not a step away. It is a miraculous catch. How how did that ball even get in there? Type uh, catch, and he's going to start hitting those. He's going to start swatting those. His read is right. His play is right. Uh, he's he's just a little bit snake bit. And so as those start to uh, as he starts to block those, that's that's getting the team off the field. That's getting the defense off the field. Uh, that's getting the ball back in Alabama's hands. And so Jordan Battle is, I thought, was very impressive, continues to be very impressive. Uh, one of our star picks for the season. And uh, I stand by that. And I look forward to continued uh, uh, outstanding play from Jordan. And it'll manifest. I don't want to say he's going to improve. I mean, he is going to improve. But to say that he's going to improve markedly takes away from what he's doing today. He can do exactly what he does today, but add, you know, three pass deflections, right? And I think it's a thin line between sort of those two instances of those two iterations of Jordan Battle. So for that, he's uh, he is my mini game ball. Special teams, not I mean, for my money, there's not really a whole lot to say here, right? There were no kick returns, uh, no punt returns for uh, allowed. Uh, and so the kickoffs, you know, were pretty on point, sort of a coffin corner uh, situations, you know, sort of in the, I say olden days, not that long ago, uh, that would force the opponent to, to return them out. Uh, and so we could back them up sort of that way. And with the current rules, they get to onsides or they get to uh, fair catch that. And so they get the ball at the 25. And so that's a pretty good incentive for my money to, you know, take a quarter of the field for free. That's certainly what AM did. They they subscribed to that theory. They didn't return any of the punts that Alabama offered. And, and I think that that goes in line with, with Saban's sort of discussion around the punting. Uh, we can talk about Sam. Uh, Johnson had two punts for 66 yards. He averaged 33 yards per. That is not a good average. That's not what we want to see. But Saban is talking about uh, you know putting the ball in the air so that we can go cover it. And he'd rather have a 40-yard kick that we can cover versus, you know, a 50-yard kick that we can't. I agree with that, but let's make it a 40-yard kick that we can cover, not a 33-yard kick that we can cover, right? And so that's probably where my head is on that. I was hoping to see some Ty P. Ryan. We didn't. And so that's going to be sort of an interesting narrative to see how that plays out. Again, I don't think the story's been told. I think it has just been started. So more to come uh, in that one. Uh, Will Reichert, um, you know, he gave us what we wanted, and and so that's seven and seven of seven on PATs. Uh, he did kick a, a field goal, 
I, you know, I don't care that it was only 27 yards. I don't care that the the make he had last week was was relatively short uh, as well. He is making all of the kicks, and that's exactly what we want. That's exactly uh, what we need. And so let's build some confidence uh, within him, within the unit, within the team, within the fan base, and let's see where that goes. And I think we're well on that path. Uh, I want to say it was Michael Casagrande. Uh, if it wasn't Michael, then it was one of the other uh, reporters for AL.com. Just a phenomenal, a little heart-touching, well, a lot heart-touching story on uh, Will Reichert in AL.com. I encourage you to look that up. Uh, just an incredible sort of backstory uh, that uh, that he's gone through. Uh, his father passing away when when he was uh, when he was younger, but then just the, the sort of the lifetime of experiences that he had with his father. <clears throat> really, just really just touching. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not getting choked up necessarily, but uh, uh, but I guess apropos. Definitely worth the read. Uh, sort of the personal interest story there on Will Riker. Probably look at him a little differently and maybe a little more grace uh, with some of his historical thing. And we probably all could use a little bit of that. So go check that out. Uh, Waddle had one punt return for 11. Most teams not kicking to him. And so he was able to sort of snag one there. Definitely, uh, definitely understand that. He's an explosive weapon there on the special teams. I'll say he's going to break one. You know, he's going to get the opportunity. Uh, I think we all know that. But um, I think it's fair that. Uh, you know, teams are kicking away from them. So next up, uh, Ole Miss, Alabama travels to, to Oxford. And uh, I think this is going to be an interesting game. You know, Ole Miss this Saturday battled back to beat uh, a really game Kentucky team. I think they were down by, was it 14 or they were down by 21? They were down pretty good. Uh, they came back and were, they were able to beat Kentucky in overtime. So that's some resolve. That's some stick to that Lane is – uh, injecting into this Ole Miss squad. A lot of excitement. Uh, they're moving the ball, putting up some points, putting up some yards. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. You know, Lane's going to have a little something extra for uh, for Alabama. I think I think we know that. Uh, when he was at Alabama, he definitely had a little something extra for Tennessee, and he definitely had a little something extra for uh, USC as as we play both of those teams uh, under, his, uh, under his time. And he's going to come at Alabama, and, and it's not negative. It's it's just the reality of the situation. He this is a game he wants to win probably more than than others, and I think his 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 team is going to sort of rally uh, around that. So what we're going to see is a team that's going to try uh, try to exploit some of the weaknesses that the Alabama defense has, has shown, some of the the maturation points, and so it will be a test. Will uh, has Alabama uh, sort of. Uh, how is Alabama progressing and plugging some of these gaps, uh, some of these uh, execution gaps? And so I think that's going to be certainly something to watch. I do think that they're going to be skilled enough to put up uh, some points. I like their quarterback and quarterbacks uh, as well as their receivers. And so I think we're going to see uh, sort of some, some uh, I'll say tricky kind of plays, but I think we're going to see uh, some inventive and creative ways uh, of moving the ball. Uh, but they're not going to be able to, uh, they're not going to be able to sustain that against the Alabama defense, uh, for the full, for the full day, nor will their defense be able to slow down, uh, Alabama. And so their only hope is a shootout. And I give Alabama uh, a pretty significant advantage in that one. And I think Vegas does as well. Uh, their defense, uh, Ole Miss defense allowed 400 yards rushing to Kentucky. Um, 
I know that just sounds funny to the ear. Uh, Kentucky's offensive line actually is pretty stout. I mean, they've amassed uh, some talent there in Lexington. Nonetheless, though, to allow 400 rushing yards uh, to uh, to Kentucky uh, the week prior, uh, Florida just up and down the field uh, with their tight end based offense uh, up and down the field against against Ole Miss. And so, I think when you look at an Alabama team who has more weapons than either of those two teams running and passing, uh, I think it's going to be a tall order to stop Alabama. So I see Alabama putting up uh, quite a number of points. I see the running game uh, being very productive for Alabama. And I see Alabama exploiting the running game uh, for a couple of reasons. Let's demonstrate that we have it. Let's reward the the players, uh, the running backs in the line uh, by, by demonstrating that. And let's consume some of the clock. So I think we're going to see some of that from the Alabama offense. I think the Texas A&M score is a pretty good template, uh, 52 to, to 24. I think that's a pretty good template, although I think more of the points come in the running game. I'm going sort of a 55 to 27 uh, type situation. I think Ole Miss has uh, better offensive coaching, uh, probably better offensive weapons than uh, Texas A&M. And so without sort of the flukiness of uh, scoring points, uh, I think uh, Ole Miss will actually put up probably more authentic uh, offensive points than A&M did. And uh, I think Alabama probably sticks with uh, the running game, tries to chew up the clock, uh, but I think Alabama does not struggle putting up points. Uh, it's hard to predict once you get in the 50s that we're going to put much, uh, many more points uh, than that on. But I do think it's a score that uh, Alabama could name it, and uh, they'd be able to achieve it. And so I think sort of mid-50s, uh, over 500 yards of offense, I think that's probably what Alabama's looking for. So with that, this has been, oh, you know what? I want to do just super fast, and I didn't even write this down. Just so super fast, I want to call out, if you've not yet joined, I know I'm going to sound like hard selling. I don't mean it to sound that way. If you've not, if you've not joined the 2020 uh, support team uh, group, I really want to encourage you to to give strong consideration to that. Go to the website alabamafootballpodcast.com. You know, look for the 2020 listener support campaign, and just give it a read. Just give me three to four minutes just to read through that. Uh, there's a there's there's three there's three tiers. Uh, so to speak. And then there's, there's a, there, I don't want to say a bonus tier, but there's an additional tier uh, at the bottom, which uh, sort of gives you an opportunity to test drive the, uh, the support program. And if you just do it for a month and, you know, you see what we're all about, I think that, you know, that in and of itself is great. We've already done uh, last year, 2019, we did uh, right. I think it was 29. I keep saying 30, but kind of the same thing. Uh, bonus shows in, in the full calendar year. We've already done 12, 12 bonus shows in 2020. So there's already a great, uh, you know, binge worthy content uh, out there. And we're doing a couple of things that uh, that I think are super cool that are unique to the support uh, tier programs. And if you like what we do, then you're going to love this stuff. And we're getting really good feedback on it. So one thing that we're doing is we're doing a pregame interview with, um, you know, fan, podcast, writer, whatever it is, uh, from uh, from the opposing team. And I had a really sort of longtime buddy, uh, Texas A&M uh, friend, uh, talk with us last week and just getting rave reviews uh, from the listeners on that. And so that's sort of one, one bonus you get. We're doing a, I'm calling them a quick hit, uh, uh, and so hop on the mic, 
after the game or the morning, you know, Sunday morning after the game, and and talk about you know three, four, five things that I observed during the game. It's uh, it's a condensed version. It's maybe fifteen minutes, uh, maybe twenty, uh, but it's you know here are the top things that we're going to talk about on the show. So you're hearing sort of the stuff, but you're hearing a condensed version and you're hearing it, you know, sooner and faster. And so that's cool. And then uh, we're doing, and we just started the last one Saturday. Uh, We did a Zoom call. Now this is for the All America group, which is a little bit smaller group, but we're doing a Zoom call. And uh, we did our first one Saturday morning. And we had a pretty good, uh, I thought we had a, you know, a healthy group, uh, you know, for the first one. And it was just phenomenal Saturday morning, sort of virtual tailgate kind of situation. Have a cup of coffee, meet some meet some Alabama fans, and um, uh, and talk uh, football. And I think it was very well received for those who participated. Uh, it was an incredible incredible amount of fun, and I just encourage everyone to to sort of give that an opportunity. We did that recording, that show. We recorded it and we posted it, and so the All America team members got to participate. And the all-conference uh, participant uh, members got got the audio, and so it is. Uh, we have sort of tiers and layers, but uh, some really good content. If there's any questions, Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. Send them; I will answer them uh, personally. And uh, but just really want to encourage everyone to uh, give that some consideration, give that some thought. We love doing this show. We're always going to do this show, uh, but we're doing uh, a couple of bonuses really with the idea of helping sort of keep the lights on. Uh, everything we do here costs money. <laughs> and uh, as much as we uh, love the hobby and want to keep doing it, you know, if you guys enjoy it and uh, want to help help us in that regard, then that's really the spirit. That's really the intent here. So, all right. So that is a couple of couple of points I wanted to make at the end. If you do like what we're doing and, and you don't want to do the support thing, that's great. I respect that. Not a problem. Uh, head on over to iTunes and uh, give us give us a review and uh, hit us some hit us up some stars there. Uh, that helps people find us. So a lot of stuff that, that you can do. Engage with us. We're on Twitter. Uh, go like us and follow us there. All kinds of good stuff. But hey, I'll stop with the rambling uh, sales uh, action item uh, type deals and uh, just close out. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 